This is a broadcast of Holland United Church of Christ. At Holland UCC, we seek to open the mind and engage the heart. We are a community of justice, peace, and affirmation in Holland, Michigan, where everyone is welcome to the table. A reading of scripture from Isaiah 11, Isaiah 11, 1 through 10. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide by what his ears hear. With righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall live with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the weaned child shall put its hand on the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy at all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the peoples, The nation shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. For the word of God in scripture, for the word of God among us, or the word of God within us. Well, we used to have two and a half cats. (laughs) I say two and a half because we have two cats, and then there's this third cat that's kind of an outdoor cat, but sometimes decides to come in. And so we consider that a half cat. (laughs) Just for census purposes. (laughs) And when we came back from our trip to Europe this summer, there was a fourth cat that was, I know, that was hanging around uh, the garage. And it is the cutest, fluffiest little kitty I have ever seen. I named it Baby Q, just because it was little and cute, and I don't know, it just what came to my mind. Uh, but Josephine had another name in mind for her. Uh, she named her after the painter, Bob Ross. <laughs> so her name is now officially Bob Ross. I still call her Baby Q. But at first, uh, our other two cats, main two cats, didn't get along with Bob Ross very well. They would, you know, they didn't know her, so they would fight, you know, or they would get the hair on end, they would hiss, arch their backs, and be wary of each other, or run the other direction. But a few weeks, even a month later, they started playing together, having fun, and now they will, you'll come across them, like, laying on the couch, and they'll be, like, embracing each other, and, like, licking each other's faces, and it is too cute for words. It is just 
So cute. Well, in our text today, Isaiah gives us a vision of something beautiful, right? Of what is often called the peaceable kingdom, where animals who were enemies or were predator and prey now learn to live together in peace and in harmony. Even, Isaiah writes, babies will play with snakes, though I'm not sure that's on my list of things I need the world to look like one day, but there it is. <laughs> An old comedian once quipped, the wolf shall lie down with the lamb, but the lamb won't get much sleep. <laughs> but in a way, though, for Isaiah, this is the next step in envisioning God's perfect world. In Isaiah 2, as Stephanie outlined for us last week, we are given the vision of humans overcoming their tribalisms and forging peaceful tools out of weapons. Humans learning to peacefully coexist. And here in the 11th chapter, we're told that the overcoming of such divisions will extend even to the animal kingdom. All of creation will achieve a beautiful harmony and peace. So we're given a vision of something beautiful, but maybe it's too hard to believe, because we've seen too much. We've been let down too many times. Much easier to be cynical <clears throat> these days than hopeful, at least speaking for myself. I think when we're younger, we're more hopeful, we're more optimistic. I remember about 15 years ago, Brian McLaren uh, wrote a book entitled, Everything Must Change. Everything Must Change. Subtitle uh, was Jesus, Global Crises and a Revolution of Hope. And on the back cover, uh, there was a question which said, how do the life and teachings of Jesus address the most critical problems in our world today? Great question. In a good book, too, actually. Um, and I read it, and I was like, yes, everything must change. But now I look at that book and think, everything must change? Who has energy for that? <laughs> we try change, and the result often seems like more of the same. Well, there's a theory that cynics are nothing but disappointed idealists. Right? People who began life with maybe unrealistically high standards and expectations, and then when life doesn't come through, instead of lowering those expectations or adjusting one's standards, they might go to war with the world, in a sense, deploying their cynicism as both a weapon and a shield. Because being cynical is kind of a, a defensive posture, right? I've been hurt before, and I'm not going to let it happen again. And that might be close to where the people of Israel are, as Isaiah is writing this. He was writing around 730 or 740 BCE, during the reign of a number of Israelite kings, and before the people are taken into exile, at least part of Isaiah. Well, scholars note Isaiah can be broken up into parts, and some of it was written before exile, some of it uh, during exile, some of it perhaps near the very end of 
exile. And we're given uh, some specific historical context, which helps a little with dating in chapter 6. Um, and so after chapter 2's uh, beautiful vision of swords into plowshares, and our, before our text and its vision of the peaceable kingdom comes chapter 6, sort of in the middle of these two beautiful visions, chapter 6. And it's, it's a well-known chapter in Isaiah. It begins with a vision that Isaiah has. It says, in the year that King Uzziah died, and so there's a historical event that we can date, and historians guesstimate those between 742 and 734 BCE, so that's like 700 plus years, right, before Jesus comes on the scene. And Isaiah writes, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. Uh, with two, they covered their faces. Two, their feet. With two, they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And Isaiah says, Woe is me! This is too much. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And the seraphim says, I'll take care of that. And flies over with a hot coal. Burns him right on the mouth. And says, Your guilt is taken away. And then, Isaiah says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah famously says, here I am, send me. Now, if you've been at all in um, evangelical, I guess, church settings, this is a very popular verse to just take right out of this context of Isaiah 6 sort of often in a missionary appeal or evangelism appeal mentality, right? Who will go for us? Whom shall I send? Here am I, send me. But we often forget about the next part or don't include the next part. Well, what is the words that Isaiah is given to send or given to speak once he's sent? God says, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull and close their eyes. Isaiah says, well, for how long, Lord? And God answers, until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitants. Until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. Not exactly the good news you think one would be sent out to tell. Although a tenth remains in the land, it will be laid waste. But as the terebinth and the oak leave stumps when they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land. Tough stuff. And so, in many ways, the opposite, right, of the vision of peace and harmony in our chapter, right? This foresees destruction. Cities laid waste, houses deserted, fields ruined and ravaged, and the people being sent away, and the great cedar of Israel is reduced to a dead stump. That's exactly what happens as Babylon invades and takes the people off into exile, far from their homeland. And so I'm guessing that that experience created more than a few cynics. People 
it would simply seem too much. Too much to imagine that anything could be better, let alone that things could be beautiful one day again. Because all they had known of their lives, their nation, and their homes had been reduced to a stump. A stump tells us, of course, that something grand and beautiful had once stood there. Right, a tall, majestic, and lofty tree. But now it has been cut down. And a stump is all that remains. And the thing about a stump is it still bears scars. Right, the scars of the axe or the hatchet that cruelly chopped it down. And maybe that's where we find ourselves today. Scarred by personal despair, communal despair, existential despair. It's a real place to be. There was an attempt some years back to identify the top global prob problems called the Copenhagen Consensus. And they brought together some of the world's leading experts in various fields to try to identify uh, the problems that cause the most suffering and danger or threat to our world. And so they came up with a list of the top 10 global problems. Any ideas what was on that list? I mean, this was like more than a decade ago, maybe even couple. Probably food insecurity and water. Okay, food insecurity and water. What else? Racism. Racism. Global warming. Global warming. Nuclear war. Nuclear war. <clears throat> Housing. Housing. All right, I'll list the, the ten. <clears throat> Hunger and malnutrition. Climate change. International conflicts, which might include the nuclear war, financial instability, water and sanitation, subsidies and trade barriers, population slash migration, communicable diseases, this was well before the pandemic, education, and governance, and corruption. Quite the list. Quite the list, and it's easy to be a cynic when you consider any one of these problems in depth, let alone all of them, and even the ones that weren't mentioned. And the thing is, right, they're all interconnected. They're all interconnected. In his 1995 book, Cry of the Earth, Cry of the Poor, Brazilian theologian Leonardo Boff wrote that we have created a societal death machine that is mowing down life in its most varied forms. In other words, the various ways that we have created society have unwittingly together led us to create an unsustainable system that feels difficult to stop. Isaiah says elsewhere, we all like sheep have gone astray. We have each Turned to our own way. And John Philip Newell, who we heard in our words of integration and guidance, reminds us that it's in turning again to one another that we find our way forward. 
Not the arrogance that imagines that we can do as we please or treat others or treat creation as we please and not worry about its impact. But it is humility that will save us. A humility that's close to the earth. A humility that reminds us that we're not separate from one another or from the earth itself. We're not separate, but in fact, belong to each other. Our wellness is tied up with the wellness of everyone and everything else. Because, as he says, the way of hubris, that's opposite to the way of Jesus. He taught us the strength of humility, of being close to the earth, close to the ground from which we and all things come. And on that ground, the base of a great tree can still be seen. And the prophet says a shoot shall come out from that stump. Even amidst the despair, life and hope appears. Not a mighty cedar like we might expect, or even a powerful persona, as Isaiah says elsewhere, for he grew up before them like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. So the Advent word today reminds us that our personal and communal hopes did not always rest on something grand and obvious. But something so small you could walk right past it and not even notice it. Because it is in this season that we anticipate again the birth of a small and unexpected child. A prophet in his own right who would remind even the most cynical among us that yes, everything can change. And it can start even with just one person choosing to walk in humility and love. How did Isaiah put it? And a little child shall lead them. Amen. Maybe so. invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. streaming on Facebook. You can also watch these messages on the Holland UCC YouTube channel. And for more information, how to get involved, or to support our work, like us on Facebook or visit hollanducc.org.